Humanizing History is a show about people in history that have had an impact on our world. We will be exploring what made them important, but our main focus will be on who that person was outside of well-known records. We will be diving deep into who these people were, what they hated, who they loved, and other less-known information about their lives. In order to show the world that no one is perfect, we are all human and make mistakes. But that doesn't mean we can't be great and have a profound impact on tomorrow. And welcome to Humanizing History. I'm one of your hosts, Nick Downey. And by process of elimination, that makes me the other host, Cliff Boone. <laughs> and my split personality is the third host today. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, anyway, uh, welcome back. Uh, it's, you know, it's been a while. I know we've kind of had life like, you know, I know recording and researching is been a little bit tougher just with a lot of things going on but uh cliff how have you been what's what's been going on in your life oh not a whole lot just working every day and i went to the overland expo with my dad this weekend that was a lot of fun and otherwise just you know the same old same old how about you anything new nick uh a few a few things so my family and i went out to utah uh to have a little family vacation uh, we took a week off work and it was a lot of fun that uh, I went to school out there. So we went to Park City, Sundance. Um, I went to Utah Valley University. So checked out the school. Uh, my wife kind of got to see a side of me that she never had seen before, like because she's only been out to Utah once. And it was for like a quick turnaround wedding kind of thing. Uh, but we had a great time. And then, yes, something very big and new is happening in my life. Uh, we are expecting our second child. Woo! thank you thank you so uh, we're gonna do something a little bit different this time we're actually not gonna find out uh, the the sex of the baby until they are born good deal that's that'll be interesting all right so um as i mentioned well like probably three or four weeks ago at this point uh we are going to cover vlad the impaler uh you guys seem to like all of the uh, you know, crazy people and then the evil people out there. So I thought Vlad the Impaler kind of, uh, when you hear the name, kind of resonates with evil and things like that. But just want to, before we dive in, Cliff, what are your, what's your knowledge of, of Vlad the Impaler? The only thing I really know about Vlad the Impaler is, isn't he where the whole vampire genre yeah. kind of came from? I didn't even know the, what's the word I'm looking for here? Yeah. So I think you're looking specifically for Dracula. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk about that. But yes, uh, Dracula, the, the fictional character is, I'm using air quotes, based on Vlad the Impaler. Uh, so we'll actually talk about that. And that was really all I knew as well. So I was thinking somebody crazy, somebody, you know, who's eating children and sucking blood and things like that. And I wish it was that exciting. Like Vlad's life, uh, I'll just give kind of a, an over or not an overview, but a, I don't want to say a disclaimer. That's the word I was looking for. It's uh it's, it's not as exciting as you would think it is, but um, you're going to get confused. I can already tell you this. Everybody listening is going to get so confused. And the reason I say that is because there, there are so many land disputes in this story. And half the time I'm researching going, okay, so does he rule the land right now? What side is he on? 
this time, like it's, it's a lot of back and forth. So it's, it's a lot of lineage, a lot of things like that, but uh, a lot of nitty gritty with this story, but the end is going to pay off. We're going to talk about uh, his, you know, his, the stories about him and where we get the, you know, these various legends. Okay. One thing so. I did just remember also, uh, my grandmother had some disorder, disease, something where she couldn't go out in the sunlight and she did not tolerate heat very well. And I want to say the disorder was named after him or had something to do with him. Did you find that? I did not find that. Okay. Is oh. she also allergic to garlic? She she was not. Um, <laughs> my, my mom's going to listen to this episode and she's going to say exactly what it is. And I cannot remember the name of that disorder or disease. Well, you can look that up, and, and if you find it, we'll definitely talk about it. But let's let's dive in. Vlad the Impaler was born around the early 1430s, and the majority of historians believe it was 1431, but there's no exact date. I mean, Records I feel like if you weren't so born well. after the 1600s, it's really hard to pinpoint some, some dates. But what yeah. were you going to say? Oh, the disorder or disease is called xeroderma pigmentosum okay and is it related to vlad at all i didn't look i just looked up the name oh of it. okay <laughs> <laughs> but i want to say my mom said it was it was uh named either because of him or they thought he had it or something like that it had to do with him in some way okay okay i could be getting it mixed up it, with it could be else, i mean he, he uh, yeah he may have had it or I, I don't know but i didn't read anything on that so Vlad the Impaler, who is actually named Vlad III, is better known by two names, Vlad the Impaler and Vlad Dracula. The later of those two names, Vlad Dracula, was the influence behind the name of Bram Stoker's Dracula. However, the name Dracula literally just translates to son of Drake, as he was the son of Vlad II, who was also known as Drac or Drake. The, the name was given to him, when I say him, I mean his father, Vlad II, uh, due to his involvement in what is called the Order of the Dragon. Drac, D-R-A-C, in Old Romanian meant dragon and or devil. So right off the bat, the name doesn't really instill peace or, you know, warm fuzzies. So this this family is known for for being a little bit uh, bold and a little bit fierce. Anyway, so back to Vlad's. Yeah, was What's the up? name given to him for that reason? Did yeah. they okay to instill and, fear, respect, or whatever? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like naming. So let's get back. Cliff. Yeah, Cliff it, wanting to jump over a cliff because you <laughs> gave birth to the kid. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> So let's get back to, to Vlad's birth. He was born in Transylvania, which oh. made... Oh, oh, one, two, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> so that lies in present-day Romania. Once again, Transylvania, as we kind of just were making fun of it, probably sounds familiar as it's the dwelling place of the fictional vampire Dracula. Although Vlad was born in Transylvania... It's really a big stretch to relate the two uh, because although he was born there, he never really owned or lived in Transylvania very long. He never owned any land there. Uh, so it's it's a really a stretch to that Bram Stoker brought those two together. 
Oh, Transylvania's we'll start- kind of got that sound to it, though, that it's dark and mysterious and evil. So I can right. see why you'd say that. Now, do we think it sounds evil because of Dracula? Like, if I was like, get rid of get rid of Dracula, and I was like, hey, guys, we're going to Transylvania. <laughs> like, You know, I guess so, because you think Transylvania, but then you think Pennsylvania. <laughs> they both sound similar. Right. I don't want to go to either, but uh, <laughs> neither one really instills fear like Transylvania woods. Right, right. And I... And, you know, I guess it's a little bit ominous, but anyway, the correlation or, or the relationship, excuse me, between Transylvania and Vlad the Impaler isn't really there, although he did rule uh, some lands around Transylvania and interacted a little bit, but it wasn't really directly toward to him. So, as I mentioned, Vlad III was born to Vlad II, aka Vlad Dracul. Vlad II became the ruler of Wallachia, a section of present-day Romania, just a few years after Vlad's birth. The specific year was 1436, so about five years after uh, Vlad III was born. And also, Vlad III was his father's second legitimate son. He had at least three siblings. He had an older brother named Mircea, M-I-R-C-E-A II. He had a younger brother named Radus, who we will refer to as Radu, and a half-brother, Vlad Kalugaru, and that was the illegitimate child uh, that that was born. Uh, The two brothers that would have the most involvement in Vlad's life would be Radu and Mircea. Before we get into the rest of Vlad's childhood, we must talk about the Order of the Dragon. Vlad's father, as mentioned earlier, was a member of this group, King Sigismund of Hungary inducted Vlad II into the order. The order of the dragon had one singular goal, defeat the Muslim lands that were Turkey and the Ottoman Empire. So once again, we're going to get into, as we see throughout history, this Christian-Muslim conflict. It was an extremely important partnership for the elder Vlad due to his land, Wallachia, being one of the first territories the Ottomans would enter every time they pushed into Christian Europe. Think of, you know, if you're looking at, you know, let's say a a map, it's right on that border. So it would be, you know, the, I mean, what's a border town that. that It would be like uh, South Korea, North Korea. They got that DMZ. So it'd be like right Right. there. That is a perfect explanation. The the, the DMZ. So if if the Ottomans were to come in, they were the first to, to get that brunt of the attack if i may interject yeah real quickly i was totally wrong the disease he had is actually called porphyria that's what my grandmother had and it's named after him it's called the vampire's disease okay gotcha so due to this being you know this border town between two warring uh factions many many bloody battles took place here as you can imagine due to the conflict between the Christians and the Muslims. This war would be a part of Vlad's entire life. So it wasn't like a singular war, but it was just constant. You know, back then, warring just, nations, tribes, it, it just think France and, uh, you know, England back then. Or today, Palestine and, you know, and Israel. Israel. Just constant. There's no real war. It's just constant. So with the background of the Order of the Dragon, the next part of his childhood will make more sense. In 1442, Vlad II 
was summoned by the Ottoman Sultan Murad II to a diplomatic meeting in the Ottoman Empire. It was thought to be kind of like a peace treaty or a peace talk. On this trip, Vlad's father brought him and his younger brother, Radu. When they got to the designated location, the meeting ended up being a trap. Oh, no. All three of them were arrested and held hostage. And Vlad II, the father, was eventually released and sent back to Wallachia. But under one condition, his sons would be forced to stay in the Ottoman Empire and live as hostages. Oh, jeez. So basically what this would do is this would ensure that the father, Vlad II, would have to behave in their favor during the war, you know, between Turkey and Hungary. Otherwise, his sons would be killed. So the brothers would end up living in the Ottoman Empire for at least the next six years. The dates towards the end, they're not 100% sure when they left, but for at least six years, they lived in the Ottoman Empire. And what age was uh, the Impaler when he went there? Do we know? Uh, so he was about 11. Okay, so he, these are prime teen years that he's losing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The younger brother, Radu, may have lived there longer. So we know that Vlad lived there about six years, and the younger brother may have lived longer. Although the brothers were hostages, they were still treated with very high regard and standing. Uh, they were tutored in science, philosophy, and the arts. Uh, it was noted that Vlad even became a well-respected warrior and horseman. All in all, the brothers lived a good life in the care of the Sultan, other than the fear that they could be killed at any time. You know, they, they're living a good life, but if their dad decided to do something stupid in the eyes of the Sultan, you know, something that was disloyal or treasonous to the Sultan, they could literally die at any minute. Yeah. So a little bit of stress. Just a little bit. Could you imagine that? Like, just knowing that if your parents screwed up, that you're screwed? Well, and my gosh, did he try to escape at all? Or was he just like, hey, this is what dad said? I mean, you got to imagine. I mean, it probably sucked living there, but it wasn't like they were living a horrible life. True. It's like, okay, I can try to escape and die or live this semi-cushy life, but not with my family. And I just think the the thought process of people during this time especially the royals of this time was probably a lot different and this was probably something that wasn't too rare I, I, this is probably something that happened more times than we would like anyway uh radu may have had a little bit worse of a life though uh, the following was written by a greek historian i'm not going to even try to pronounce his name it's like alaunic kalkalabdiles anyway uh, a, a Greek historian about the relationship between Radu and the Sultan. The emperor had with him the brother of, and this was a, sorry, this is a little excerpt out of uh, his writings. The emperor had with him the brother of Vlad, son of Dracul, and was his favorite living with him. And so it happened that when he began to rule, the emperor wanted to have a relation with this boy that almost killed him. Because he liked the boy, he invited him to parties and raised the cup with lust, asking him to be in his bedchambers. And the boy was taken by surprise to see the emperor rushing on him for such a thing and stood against it and did not concede to the emperor's craving. But the emperor kissed him against his will and the boy sheathed the dagger and cut the emperor's thigh, then ran away. The doctor's healed the emperor's wound and the boy climbed a tree nearby and stayed hidden hidden 
Only after the emperor left, the boy descended and walked away and then came back to the court again. He was the emperor's favorite. Yeesh. Yeah. I can't blame the kid. I'd do the same thing. Yeah, no joke. It is not clear, but some do believe that Radu did have to serve as the emperor's lover after that for some time. However, uh, Radu would eventually marry a Serbian princess and have a daughter. That sounds difficult. <laughs> yes, it, it definitely, definitely does. So I know that didn't necessarily happen directly to Vlad the Impaler, but we can kind of see that, yes, they had a good life, but obviously there was the threat of death at any moment. Sexual the assault. <laughs> was sexually assaulted. Uh, there's no, excuse me, there's no record, or I couldn't find anything that said that Vlad had to endure that, but you know, very well could have as well. Um, so very interesting time uh, for them. They learned a lot. They were taken care of, but unfortunately, things More like ways this happen as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's probably a bad way to put it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I if if I can totally see why he would hate these people. If mm-hmm. a member of your family sexually assaulted while you're in captivity. I can understand why you would end up hating them. But the interesting thing is, although he probably did end up hating the Ottomans, because of his desire to rule, literally he goes back and forth between alliances. Like he'll use, you know, for a while, he'll use Ottoman soldiers to take over lands and then he'll use Hungarian soldiers and then back and forth. Uh, I feel like Vlad the Impaler, whoever gave him the, the most power uh, was the one that he sided with, regardless of of what was going on. Okay, well, so, I mean, that's smart. You use what you can to get where you want to go. Right, exactly. That's, that's Vlad's childhood. We're now going to go into his first rule and exile. So in 1447, so we're looking, he's about 16 years old at this time. Vlad's father and older brother were killed during an attack by the regnant governor of Hungary, John Hunyadi. And remember, they were sided with the Hungarians. So this is where this whole conflict back and forth really it just gets weird. So to ensure that Hungary's best interests were met in Wallachia, Hunyadi put Vladislav, this is going to get confusing. So there's Vlad II, Vlad III, and then there's Vladislav II. So um, the ruler of Hungary put Vladislav II in charge and became ruler of Wallachia. Vladislav was actually a distant cousin of Vlad the Impaler. And remember at this point, Vlad was loyal to the Ottoman Empire. So uh, Hunyadi would not want to give him power. Also, he just killed his father. So why would he want to give power to, to Vlad III? Of course. Uh, just to give you perspective, this type of ruler change happened very often in Wallachia uh, during this period. So from 1418 to 1476, there were 29 separate reigns with 11 different rulers. Wow. And we'll talk about it. Vlad the Impaler, Vlad III, was the ruler three separate times during this period. Okay. So this changed hands all the time. So do you talk about his rises and falls? later on okay that's going to be a bulk of the the back and forth with this with this uh episode uh so after the death of his father and brother 
obviously Vlad wanted to regain the throne and kind of avenge the loss of his family. So shortly after taking uh, Lalakia, Vladislav went with Hanyadi to launch a campaign, a campaign against the Ottoman Empire. So Wallachia, for some reason, and I couldn't really find, but Wallachia had lost favor with Hungary, and now that's why uh, they took over Wallachia. Now Wallachia is back in Hungarian control, and now they're going to go against the Ottoman Empire. However, during Vladislav's absence, Vlad decided that this was the time to strike. They're weak. Their leader's gone. Their army's gone. So he and an Ottoman army went and took over the land. Vlad was granted Wallachia, but forfeited all other lands to the Ottoman Empire uh, that they took in this siege. So they took some lands around it, um, and Vlad was like, I just want Wallachia. Uh, So the Ottoman Empire took the surrounding areas. Okay, so that's one example of him using someone to get, using them to get what he wanted. He didn't care about the rest. He wanted Wallachia. Exactly, exactly. So, but Vlad's first rule was very short-lived. When Hanyadi attempted to recruit Vlad after Vlad had taken over Wallachia, he refused. He's like, no, you killed my father. I don't want anything to do with you. I have the land. So Vladislav II was then instructed by Hanyadi to return to Wallachia with the uh, remaining army that uh, he had taken to the Ottoman Empire, came back and attacked uh, Vlad the third and his regime. Vladislav made quick work of Vlad and took Wakalia over in December of 1448. So Vlad's first rule was about four months long. Nice. So really short. <laughs> and he was sent into exile after defeat, which I thought was a little bit lenient. Excuse me. I thought was a little bit lenient. I mean, usually back then I would thought you would kill him or maybe he ran away, but he did go into exile uh, after that. And from 1448 to 1456, which is about eight years, there's really not a whole ton of history on Vlad. So he kind of goes dark for eight years of his life. Did they say we where he was that- exiled to? Yeah. And so we do know that he went back to the Ottoman Empire and settled in Edirne. Uh, E-D-I-R-N-E, and shortly moved to uh, Moldova, which, once again, Eastern Europe. So after a long series of events, he finally tried to join forces with Hunyadi. So now he's trying to go back to the Hungarian uh, regime, as there was a truce between Hungary and the Ottomans at that time. However, Hunyadi denied Vlad Wallachia, but did say he would be considered to rule if Vladislav were to ever die. Okay. So is he setting up a little scheme? Kind of. Yep. Vlad kind of took it well, but also didn't at the same time. So supposedly Vlad tried to settle in an area of Hungary and Romania in that area uh, called Brasov, which was technically part of Wallachia, but Hanyadi prohibited the people of uh, Braslav to provide him shelter. So he tried to move back into Hungary um, and Romania, but Hanyadi's like, no, we're not letting him. 
After that, Vlad's life is unknown at this point, but it is believed that he did move back to Hungary at some point. At some point, he did make his way back. So that's I, I feel like for somebody that didn't live a whole long time, eight years is a big chunk of time, and there's like no history on the guy. Again, though, 1400s, there's not a whole lot of records being kept. Especially or if they were, they were burnt lost. at some point. Anyway, so he was gone for eight years. And so we're going to now talk about his second rule. During Vlad the Impaler's exile, the alliances of both Vladislav II and Vlad the Impaler had changed. Vladislav was no longer loyal to Hungary. And Vladimir, or not Vladimir, Vlad the Impaler was now loyal to Hunyadi and Hungary. So literally they switched. And this was something, like I said, happened all the time. It is uncertain when exactly Vlad returned to Wallachia to reclaim his power, but sometime in the spring or summer of 1456, Vlad invaded Wallachia with the support of Hungarian forces. During that invasion, Vladislav was finally killed and Vlad took reign of Wallachia once again. And this was his second reign was really what they consider his main reign. Uh, so this is this was his longest tenure is ruler i'm saying ruler there's a lot of other words that they used but different languages called it different things so i just went with ruler because it could get confusing um, how long was the a, reign this one um this one lasted until 1462 so we're talking like six years okay still pretty darn short yeah but most of these reigns, and we're talking eight years was Vladislav, you know, six years, he ends up ruling again. So it, it's a well, lot of back and forth. When you think of rulers, though, for me, I always think of, you know, England or right. countries in, in, in that area. And these rulers, they rule for forever and their kids rule and their kids, kids rule. And, you know, you have whole lineages of rulers. So it's mm -hmm. just odd to have one guy. He's like, yep, I ruled for four months and then six years. <laughs> Way to go. Yeah, it, it was it was an interesting time for sure. Anyway, uh, where were we at? So, OK, so he dies, takes over. And right away, Vlad began to make allies so that he would not lose power once again. So that was kind of the problem. The first go around, he didn't have any allies. He only had four months and. He started He started losing then. However, uh, he makes allies right away. Vlad sent letters to the rulers in the surrounding areas, such as Vraslav, uh, Transylvania, and just surrounding areas, stating the following. When a man or prince is strong and powerful, he can make peace as he wants to. But when he is weak, a stronger one will come and do what he wants with him. Basically, he's stating... You can be strong and make peace with me, or you can be weak and I will kick the living crap out of you and take over. So this is really when we start seeing his authorian, authoritative, authoritarian. What has that? Huh? Say that again. Yeah. Authoritarian. authoritarian. Or no, that's not even right. Okay. Authoritarian. Yeah, authoritarian. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Authoritarian, uh, kind of power and rule so after he finally did regain his power so we kind of see this here this is when his violent reputation kind of started coming into play or trying to you know assert his dominance 
So Vlad, during this time, ordered the execution of thousands of people. So the people that he killed were anyone that had played a role in the death of his father and brother were put to death. So a lot of the Hungarians uh, in the surrounding areas he killed. Is this also where he got Vlad the impaler thing? Because yes. he put up on spikes, right? Yeah. Now, here's the thing is the stories say that he put them on spikes. We'll talk about it a little bit later. But a lot of these stories were written by opposing uh, areas. Okay. So they're and trying to make more... him look like more of a monster than he was kind yes, of thing? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Later, But the idea was that he would impale people. And I, we may talk about it a little bit before we get into the stories. But he also would kill anybody that Vlad believed would try to overthrow him. He would kill you. Which at this point, it's as pretty we typical, see, pretty typical, doesn't surprise me because of how frequently and e I don't want to say easily, but it seems pretty easy for, you know, a land to change hands. We're talking 29 times in a span of like 60 years. But it's not even that, you know, odd for uh, a ruler, king, whatever, to kill people they think are a danger to their throne. I mean, right. it's, it's talked about in the Bible, you know? Oh, yeah. Or who was it that I, killed every firstborn up to two years or something like that? It was Pharaoh. During, was it Pharaoh? Well, you see this multiple times. No, no, no. Sorry. Pharaoh was God killed all the all the young men. Now, who was the older. king that the but wise men Herod. came and told him? King yeah, Herod, Herod. That's who it was. So you do see. I mean, it, it's something in history. I totally agree. If you, It's crazy what we as humans do for power. Like, we just disregard everything. And... Let's just kill people because who cares? I'm in I'm in control. Anyway, uh, Vlad, in the meantime, built his allies by giving the money and property of the people he killed to those he considered allies. Okay. So at this point, it's like, well, of course, I'm going to be an ally with this guy. He's going to kill the people I don't like. And he's going to give me money and land. Like, why wouldn't you try to serve this guy? Yeah, that makes sense. If you can't beat him. You know, he'd rather be on his good side. Right. Die or live and gain riches, you know. But Vlad did not play well with others. Out of all of the rulers in the area he had reached out to, only two survived. <laughs> uh, all the others were put to death or he took over their land. So Vlad then wanted to make another strategic move. So he really wanted to balance out the interests uh, in Wallachia for both Hungary and the Ottomans. Because at this point, you're losing control to one of these two sides. Whatever one you're, you're siding with is the one that is going to, the other one's going to take over. So he worked with both sides and swiftly came to terms with both. However, he was soon uh, basically attacked by the hungarians so the hungarians were like hey yeah we'll help you out we'll be good and then they went back on their promise so war broke out during which uh vlad was a supporter of a moldovian noble who basically would later fight him and earn the name stephen the great so this is where it gets really confusing because it's like one second he's friends with them, the next he's not, and now they're fighting each other. Um, so if there is a little bit of confusion here, I'm probably just as confused as you are. 
I'll be honest, I am thoroughly confused thus far. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the situation between uh, Wallachia, Hungary, and Transylvania fluctuated up and down for tons of years, going from, you know, peacetime to wartime. And basically, a lot of it revolved around Vlad just trying to keep his land and keeping his power. Then in the early 1460s, at this point, they had secured their independence from Hungary and had actually regained some land that they had lost uh, from Transylvania. Vlad, at that point, decided, you know what, I'm going to break off my relationship with the Ottoman Empire, because that sounds like a good move. And at that time, if you were to be loyal to the Ottoman Empire, you had on a yearly basis give a tribute to the sultan. And so all of a sudden, the sultan's not getting money. Three years went by, the sultan did not get his money from Wakalia or Wallachia. And so during those three years, he'd prepped for war. Uh, Vlad was ready to fight. Uh, okay. And the Christian, the Christian parts of Eastern Europe uh, basically decided, hey, you know, let's do this together. And they decided to go to war once again with the Ottomans. So we're coming full circle at this time. Some believe that this may have been the long game for, for Vlad, that all of this was really uh, to get his rivals and every, you know, get his rival Christian groups that he didn't like for a long time to actually join him and ultimately attack the Sultan to get revenge for his abduction and life that he had to spend in the Ottoman empire. So some believe that this was a long drawn out plan and that he finally executed it in 1460 or 1461. Did it work? Uh, we'll talk about it. Okay. So the, the war with the Ottomans began, we think around the winter of uh, 14, like 61 and 62 when Vlad had finally attacked one of the nearby Ottoman strongholds. Basically, the Sultan was not cool with it, and uh, he began to invade uh, in 1462 and aiming to install Vlad's brother, Radu, to the throne. Radu had actually lived in the empire for such a long time that Radu had alliances with the Ottomans, the Ottomans were like, well, we're going to have, we're going to try to take over Wakalia and put Radu on the throne. So now we're talking about brothers hating each other and things like that. So Radu still chill with the Ottoman Empire after everything that I, happened? I guess. Okay. Yeah. Stockholm Syndrome much? Yeah, I, I, I guess. I mean, it's it's weird. And, and like I said, the, the, the alliances in this whole thing don't make sense to me why things change so much, but... Once again, power will make you do some, some crazy things. Apparently. So Vlad made one final attempt with the goal of killing the emperor, sorry, killing the sultan himself. And this is specifically where Vlad gets the name, the Impaler. So Vlad ended up scaring all the Ottomans with a field of impaled soldiers, of Ottoman soldiers. Unfortunately, although the Ottomans were scared, their numbers just out 
outranked Vlad's army and Vlad's army was defeated and Radu ended up taking the throne of Wallachia. Okay. So, so once, yeah, what's up? So where did Vlad go now? Now that he's been defeated. So, this is when he, uh, he actually becomes, we believe he becomes a prisoner once again within the Ottoman empire. Okay. So we don't know the exact length of Vlad's captivity. Uh, some Russian literature indicates that he was in prison from about 1462 until 1474. So that's 12 years. But once again, this was one that, although he was in prison, it wasn't like he was in prison. Like he eventually would win, uh, you know, win back in the, in the graces of, of his captors um, so much that he was actually able to marry a member of the royal family. So this is like and, Goodfellas kind of prison. Right, right. And I'm sorry, uh, after he had lost to the Ottomans, um, it wasn't actually the Ottomans that put him into prison uh, due to him losing and losing the throne. He was actually ended up being put into captivity in Hungary um, as a punishment. So um, he did once again, like I said, he ended up marrying within the Hungarian royal family. And he actually had two sons who were about uh, 10 years old when Vlad would eventually reconquer Wallachia for the third time. Okay. What it is thought of is even though he was living in Hungary till about 74, the actual like prison sentence, it's more about four years. It is believed that he was actually only in confinement from 1462 to 1466. And the reason why they say that is because it's really unlikely that the royal family would have allowed one of the you know women of the family to marry a prisoner so they believe that he must have been out for for some time during his time in captivity a few other things happened it's believed that vlad uh, became a catholic as well and apparently before his final release uh in 1474 uh, vlad you know lived with his new wife in the hungarian capital and Vlad had a son from an earlier marriage as well that lived with them too. Uh, so not once again in captivity, not a whole lot um, known about him, but it was about 12 years between his defeat to uh, the end of his captivity. And so lastly, we're going to talk about his final rule and death before we go into uh, his, you know, his legends and, and stories. In 1475, Vlad was ready to go after the throne again. And Vlad and uh, the ruler of Transylvania actually invaded Wallachia with a mixed force of Transylvanians, Wallachians, Moldovians. Uh, they also teamed up with Vlad's cousin, Prince Stephen of Moldovia. Uh, Vlad's brother, Rad <laughs> at this point, his name is Radu the Handsome, uh, had actually, yeah, had actually died a couple years earlier and had been replaced by another Ottoman candidate by the name of Basarab the Elder. Uh, so he's not attacking his brother anymore. It's it's somebody else, which I don't know oh. if that would have mattered to him at this point. I don't think it would have. Which I think is weird. Like, 
I feel like it'd be that'd be so hard to attack my brother. Yeah, but, but your brother already attacked you. Well, his brother didn't. The Ottoman Empire beat him and decided to put Radu into the. Oh, world. I thought Radu was still loyal no. to the Ottomans. Well, he was loyal to the Ottomans, correct? But it wasn't like him leading the charge. He was just appointed after. Yeah, but still, but if your brother way, is loyal brother to the people that throne. beat you, and then they gave you, you know, gave him your throne, yeah. I'd want to kick his butt too. But if he's dead, then it doesn't matter. Right? No, you're right. So now he's beating so, up a senior citizen on the throne. For what? Say that again. He's beating up a senior citizen. Now he's elder. beating up a senior citizen. Yeah. <laughs> so at the approach of of the of Vlad's army, the elder and his cohorts or those around him actually ran away and were able to get protection from from Turkey and others in the Transylvanian Alps. So what ended up happening is uh, Vlad was then placed on you know placed as the ruler. Stephen and the bulk of, of Vlad's forces then returned to Transylvania, but it was weird. So they gave him the throne, but they went back. So at this point, although he has the throne, he's in a really weak position. And Vlad had very little time uh, to gather uh, any support, which this didn't make sense to me. It was like, okay, you helped him take over, but now you go away. Um, so he had very little time to actually like, revamp his army at this point um, it could have also been that that, that was the agreement though you helped me true. take over my throne again you're released of whatever you, you know and they, exactly. they took him up on it sure yeah we're done here we're our part is over with you know bye felicia exactly exactly and the other thing that made it tough is so at this point vlad's cruelty you know to those that he didn't like which a lot of times were the people around him they didn't want to come to his aid so they, a lot of the people just thought that, you know what, we actually have a better chance of surviving under Prince, you know, the elder, Babasarb. So Prince Babasarb. So apparently, you know, a few peasants and others, you know, decided to join him, but not enough. And Vlad was far- forced to march to meet the, the Turkish army with a very small number of forces less than 4,000 men at this point. Against the uh, Ottoman so, Empire? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like me fighting Mike Tyson and Holyfield. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And they both bite your ears off. <laughs> so there are several versions of Vlad's death. Um, the, the most popular one is that he was killed in the battle against the Ottoman Empire. Uh, in December of 1476. Others say that he was killed by uh, disloyal uh, Wakalayans. Wallachians? (laughs) Wallachians. What did I say? Wakalayans? (laughs) Wallachians? And others have him being killed uh, once again in battle. Still others report that Vlad at the moment of victory was struck down by one, one of his own men. Um, but he was at some point killed in battle, but whether it was an assassination or, or in battle, uh, he did end up dying in December of 1476. So even his last reign felt like it was maybe a few months, like it really wasn't that long. So talking, he's obviously, he's not known for being a ruler. And if his, uh, if he's not really an impaler if those are more just stories, what really is is uh, he famous for? 
So that, that's what we're going to talk about is, is what he is famous for. So the stories of Vlad the Impaler actually began during his lifetime. And after his arrest, uh, stories were spread via pamphlets by his captors to tarnish his name. So the big thing here is he lived around the time of the, the invention of like the, the printing press. So things were be- suddenly being mass produced. So you think propaganda is bad now, which it is. Oh, it is. <laughs> Back then, it's like, I mean, think of like the dawn, and we're starting to see it now with like the dawn of the social media age where you can get whatever you want out as quick as possible. This is a very similar situation. You can print these pamphlets and get them out to everybody as soon as possible. But back so, in this time, peasants couldn't read. So this is really only, the propaganda is only going to the, the upper class, right? The people who were educated. Right. But what happens? People talk. People, yeah, yeah. So you're getting this information out to, although you're only getting it out to, you know, the nobles and such, the information still is getting out. And there's bound to be town criers and whatnot that can read that would just open a pamphlet and start reading. Well, and a lot of these were like poems and such. So it may be like the local bard or whatever was, you know, talking about it or, or things such as that. Gotcha. And so one of the most famous poems of the time was actually one that was written to the Pope. And so a poem about Vlad based on a Catholic monk based once again in air quotes, who escaped Vlad's prison. And the poem was called uh, story of a despot called Dracula Voivod of Wallachia long name that most of us probably don't understand. Anyway, according to the poem, Vlad had two monks impaled to assist them to go to heaven also ordering the impalement of their donkeys due to their whining after their owner's murder. Oh, what an ass. What? <laughs> Someone's <laughs> got to stick up their ass. <laughs> oh, that's so perfect. <laughs> so another pamphlet tells stories of Vlad's captivity. It states that while in prison, Vlad caught rats to cut them up into pieces or stuck them on small pieces of wood because he was unable to forget his wickedness. So they're saying so. That sounds made up to me. Yeah. I can't see, you know, this ruler sitting there catching mice or rats. Ha ha ha. You know, and it just seems like something his enemy would do to make him look nuts. Right. And 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 I think that's what most of this was. I think he probably impaled a couple people as we saw that, you know, and he killed a lot of people. But I think it was like he did it once. And so that is his story. And let's just romanticize it and make it as gory as possible, you know, as possible for people to hate him. Another is recorded that Vlad was a man of unheard cruelty and justice. So nothing too crazy. There's also some variations of stories as well. Uh, So a lot of German history, uh, which is kind of the Transylvanian history of of Vlad. So there are stories about basically Vlad raiding Transylvania that are based on eyewitness accounts because they actually do contain accurate details such as churches and dates and things like that. Um, They describe Vlad as a demented psychopath, a sadist, a gruesome murderer, and a masochist, worse than the likes of Nero. And I don't know how much you know about Nero, and Nero was an evil, evil man. Yeah, if they're comparing him to Nero, that's like comparing someone to Hitler today. Pretty much. Mao, yeah. yeah. Nero would be somebody we should, that would be a good one to go. Nero would be interesting. Yeah. That one would be bloody. That one, yeah, it would be. That'd be probably a two or three parter. 
Yeah. As mentioned earlier, stories of Vlad came out around the time of that printing press um, to enhance sales of the newly published books. There would be woodcuts on their title pages that depicted like horror scenes. For instance, one book depicted Vlad dining at a table surrounded by dead or dying people on poles. And then, you know, the Impaler had a big copper cauldron built and put a lid made of wood with holes on top of it. He put the people in the cauldron and put their heads in the holes and fastened them together. Then he filled it with water, set it on fire, and let the people cry until they died of being boiled to death. So that that sounds kind of out there, but if you know anything about medieval torture, there's like the brazen bowl. There's a lot of things that that back then people came up with the craziest ways to torture and kill people. I can see that happening. Yeah. So this is going to lead into the, the next, that actually leads in perfectly, supposedly to these German stories, invented new ways of torture that were so inhumane. One was that he ordered women to be strung together or impaled together with their suckling babies on that same oh, stick. No. Oh, well, now I'm sad. Yeah. So basically the idea was that these, these infants fought for, you know, fought to live while being on their mother's breast and they all obviously died. And (laughs) and it doesn't stop there. Then he had the breasts of these women cut off and put the babies inside head first. Oh, what the hell? Thus, he had them impaled together. Oh. So, uh, we need to rate this uh, this podcast M for mature, you know? Yeah. Well, if I knew so, that was coming, I'd be cussing the whole episode. <laughs> so, there's also um, various stories fr- from the uh, Slavic tradition or fr- Slavic stories. Uh, most of them are a mix of both fiction and fact. Uh, the goal of these stories, however, were not only, only to show Vlad's brutality, but also how he used that uh, brutal instinct to actually gain power. One of the more notable stories, there are about 20 of them, I believe, but one of the most notable ones was that there was a golden cup, apparently, that no one dare steal that was sitting at a fountain. And this was because Vlad hated stealing so violently that anybody who caused any evil or robbery didn't live long. So it was kind of like a story of, hey, don't mess with Vlad. Don't do anything bad because you could die. Um, So those were the types of stories. It wasn't nearly as gruesome as the the German stories. Um, But a lot of the stories referred to him as evil wise which is interesting. So evil dash wise. So he was a very wise person. He, he strategically knew what to do in order to gain power, but he was very evil doing it. Um, also, for some reason, the Slavs hated the fact that he became a Catholic. Um, so I don't, I'm not exactly sure why. Um, As opposed to what? Muslim? Well, they were Slavics. I don't think the Slavs, they must've been, had the Reformation happened at that point. I wasn't around. Let's see what the Reformation date was. So it was right before uh, the Reformation. 
So I'm not exactly sure why, but they, yeah, they did not like him becoming a Catholic. So maybe they were Muslim at the time. Anyways, um, one thing that kind of makes the stories from the Slavic uh, point of view a little bit more fiction is a lot of the same elements and stories were then translated uh, to describe Ivan the Terrible of Russia later on. So it was more, I think they, these were more stories of uh, kind of like the stories that people tell to like keep their kids in line, but more to like keep people in line. Fables just, kind of thing. Yeah, fables kind of thing. Um, and, and just kind of move those to, to different leaders as, as time went on. I can see that. Uh, so bef- before we end today's episode, I got to talk about the reason why most of us know about him. Uh, and that would be Dracula. So I don't think just if by looking into the history of Vlad the Impaler, if it wasn't for Dracula, I don't think any of us would really know about him or really care about him. I hate saying that, but I don't think he would be a prominent figure, maybe to historians, like people who really, really like history. But I think to the lay person, we wouldn't know who Vlad the Impaler was. The stories about Vlad really make him the best known medieval ruler in the Roman, not Roman, but Romanian areas during this time. Bram Stoker's Dracula was published, we're talking 400 years after his death. Um, And it was actually the first time in history that a connection between Vlad the Impaler and vampirism were ever connected. So there, before this, there were no stories at all that said that he was a vampire and sucked blood and anything like that. So Stoker was reading more into the, uh, the vampire stories of Romanian folklore that he had learned through Emily Gerard's articles on different Transylvanian superstitions. But for some reason, he then melded the two. So it's, it's known that Stoker didn't really know much about Vlad the Impaler. For instance, uh, Stoker wrote that Dracula had been a, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Sleckley origin. And that was only because he knew about Attila the Hun and other origins that may have been linked to people of this area. So the origins of Dracula were completely wrong. Also, Stoker's main source of material were all of the German stories, which we know that um, most of those were exaggerated and hyperbole. And then most of his uh, books and references when he was writing Dracula actually had no no well-known historical figures in them. So they didn't really have, like it'd be going to an essay and quoting like backslash I know things.org forward slash, you know, basically he had no real references. A lot of people that look at Stoker's work, obviously Bram Stoker's work of Dracula is an, an amazing story and is, is a classic, but historians look at it as kind of a load of crap when it comes to using uh, Vlad the Impaler as influence, because in all honesty, although they share the same name, Dracula, which once again, son of Drake, uh, they really don't have anything in common. So when it all boils down to is we focused on Vlad the Impaler because he is Dracula, but when it all comes down to it, he has nothing to really do with Dracula. So it makes me wonder um, if Brom never wrote about him. 
would we be talking about him today? It doesn't seem like we would be. I don't think so. No, I don't think so at all. Which I'm not going to lie. I was like, I'm doing research. I'm doing research. I'm going through. I'm like, this story's got to pay off. The story's got to pay off. The story's <laughs> got to pay off. I have, I'm so confused right now. And it came down to like, no, he didn't really. And it was like, I was so far into it that, you know, it was still, it was still a decent story. I'm glad I got to know Vlad the Impaler a little bit more. It wasn't as exciting. Um, I thought there was going to be more gory details about war and blood and, you know, war and conflict. And there was, but you know, most of the stories were just fiction. I'm sorry if I thoroughly confused you and the audience because that was a doozy of an episode. But uh, what did you learn about Vlad the Impaler today, Cliff? I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, I'm still confused. I learned that his brother had a rougher life than he did, it sounded like. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, no, uh, I, I learned a lot. I didn't know. I thought that once he became ruler of Transylvania, but he was ruler yep. for a long time. Apparently he never even ruled Transylvania. Nope. So I learned that. I also learned that you can be a ruler for four months. <laughs> and be considered a ruler. Like yeah. it almost, you know, it almost we, just sounds like an, a, a small occupation, you know, not. Yeah. We would call that interim today. <laughs> so, yeah. So real quick though, I, I will say looking this up, I, I started looking up the Porphyria again that disease mm -hmm. that my grandmother had. And there, there's actually a lot of rulers that have had this. So some scholars believe that uh, King George of England had it. And that is why he was too ill to lead the British troops to victory during the American Revolution. Which, now of course, we know... This, I've heard of this, and I didn't realize it was tied to, to Vlad. Because, yeah, it's called like the royal disease or something like that, right? So there's a bunch of different names for it. It's actually called Porphyria, but okay. uh, other people call it Dracula's disease. Some people call it the vampire disease. It's it's one of those things that, you know, it's like, it's got 18 different names, yeah. but they're all the same thing. But it, it apparently does seem to attack a bunch of people that are in, you know, in, in leadership roles. You wonder if that was the case because... I hate saying this, but back then it was not direct incest, but so many, the Royals were just mating with each other. So it was a very small gene pool. Mm -hmm. And if you know science at all, you need to uh, diversify your, your DNA or you start to see things like this happen. It's kind of why to put it into layman's terms, that's why typically purebred dogs have such major health issues where mutts and mixed breed dogs, they live so long because it's funny you they said that. Just mature better. That is right where I was going to go with it. I was going to start saying, well, this is why Great Danes have cherry eye and, you know, dysplasia and all the other things. Because, yeah, you, you go pick up, like, we had a dog named Charlie that was my mother in law's mm -hmm. dog. He was just a mutt, just a big old, like, 80 pound terrier mix. This mm -hmm. kid ate weed killer and was totally mm -hmm. like drank a bottle of weed killer in the garage. Totally yeah. fine. Ate plastic army men, pooped mud hole. Totally fine. Ate aluminum foil. Dog was fine. My dog, the purebred boxer, had every issue known to man. It, it's it's just, yeah. So maybe this so is we, why so many royals have so many issues. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen, have you seen the uh, TikTok where it's like $50 dog and it's like this big old like mixed like dog 
I can survive anything. And then it was like $5,000 dog. And it's like this little like French poodle. I'm allergic to tap water. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Oh, and this is funny because now my dog's been having a bunch of issues. So we're trying to figure out what's wrong with her. And she has gotten extremely expensive. But so, she's not a purebred, is she? Well, so that's kind of a funny story. We bought her and she is AKC papered as a purebred Labrador. She is not a purebred Labrador. She's definitely <laughs> no. a pit mix. Yeah. So, yeah, but she's still got issues. But she's old too. She's She's an old pup. Yeah. Oh, anyways, um, thank you guys for sitting and listening to Cliff and I talk about a crazy man for the last probably hour or so. Um, but if you want to follow us, guys, feel free to like, subscribe, whatever you need to on Facebook, Instagram. Do we have a Twitter? I I, we this. do have a Twitter, but have we been on it? No. I don't know if I've ever been on the Twitter. And uh, we also have a Reddit. Go check us out. Pretty much just search for humanizing history and you'll find us. Um, you can also find me at Spicy Nick Chicken on Twitch, on Instagram, as well as uh, TikTok. And Cliff, have you get, got anything you wanted to shout out? I don't think I do. My life is basically boring. So no, nothing new. My life is boring. I just put it on camera and play video games while doing it. So. <laughs> Well, so video games is all I do. If you guys are going to start playing New World, let me know. We can be friends. Or if you play Counter Strike, let me know. We'll be friends. Dude, have you gotten? Have you tried to play New World today? I haven't. I just downloaded it. I haven't jumped Dude, on yet. You won't be able to. Wait times are like two hours. Well, I guess I'm not playing it today. <laughs> At least, so I want to get it. I'm, 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 I'm this close to getting a new PC. We got to get some other things done first, but uh, that's going to be the first game I buy. But one of the guys I watch a ton on Twitch. Yeah, he said it's. It, he was. I think it was seventeen hundred in in the queue, and oh it was an hour. Yeah, he said. He said it's every thousand people is about an hour. So that's like. Do you remember back in the days when we played Warcraft, yeah. when a new update would come out or a new patch or something, you were just waiting in line for hours and hours and hours. Yeah, it was whenever the new expansions came out. It was like they didn't prepare for how many people were going in. Yeah. I remember. Oh gosh, yeah, Burning Crusade was that way. Um, the Lich King was that way. No, Lich was terrible. It was so, a great game, but it was terrible wait times. Yeah, it's my favorite expansion. Yeah, after that, I quit playing. Yeah, well, not entirely. You conned me back into World of Warcraft and then you ditched me. I didn't ditch you, I played with you like twice. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> conned me into it and ditched me. After I spent $60 on an expansion and however much. But anyways, guys, it has been a treat to be back. We should be back in two to three weeks. Uh, we, we probably should come up with a regular cadence, but life's been crazy, but we, we, we're still having some fun. So True. And yeah. we will be back pretty soon. Uh, next time, I think I'm going to be covering one of my favorite comedians who just recently passed away. Norm McDonald. I was going to ask you if you're going to do Norm. I am. Yeah. He, I was so saddened the day that I saw that he, he's been one of my favorite comedians since I can remember, you know, mm -hmm. so it's, I'm going to be covering him. If there's anything interesting now seeing how he's a comedian, chances are good. He had a pretty screwed up life. 
But uh, if I can't find anything real interesting to bring you guys, I'll, I'll do somebody else. But my heart is set on Norm Macdonald, especially Just with as much, after, much as after Nick says I love Vlad it. The, do, after me doing Vlad the Impaler, you can get away with whatever one you do. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But I'm definitely leaning towards Norm because he just holds such a special place in my heart. His humor is just, just the dry humor is just so oh, me. Yeah. Not, not enough people appreciate him, but we'll, we'll talk about that when we get in. We don't want to spoil too much, but guys, Absolutely. thank you. Hope to hear from you guys soon and hope you guys have a great one. Yep. World's crazy. Let's be nice to each other. Bye. Bye.